Welcome to the podcast where relationships, confidence, and determination all converge into an amazing heartfelt experience. This is Speaking from the Heart. Welcome back to episode number 70 of Speaking from the Heart. Today we have a guest from the Buzzsprout community, Bill Groves. Bill is originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, in which he has a degree in theater. He was a crew member on the production of Francis Ford Coppola's movie Rumblefish, which was also filmed in Tulsa. Since then, he has moved to Los Angeles, California, where he lived for over 25 years and then moved to Houston, Texas, where he currently resides in 2012. He also is the creator and host of Movie Nights and Matinees podcast, which we talk about a little bit in this episode. And in the mid-90s, he created the quarterly magazine Television Chronicles. Previous careers that he's had is working in a video store, working at Warner Brothers in the theatrical legal department, and then in the corporate archive. He also worked as a radio nightclub DJ and then managed a movie theater, which for him, I really got into a little bit about all these variety of different careers and really what led him into continuing to talk about movies and also dealing with the different types of experiences that he had working with the movie Rumblefish, which in itself has some great connections to other movies, too, that were filmed around that time. And I got to learn a little bit more about something that even my mother would probably enjoy. Because for me, growing up, I enjoyed having some opportunities to listen to a lot of different movies, although some of them were really terrible. But I think that we can all learn from those terrible experiences to turn a young passion into something that we truly love to do. But with that, let's go to the episode. All right, we're here with Bill Groves. Bill, thanks for sharing your heart with us today. No, no problem. I flicked the box on my driver's license donor card thing, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> You're the first person to point that out, that yes, especially in the United States, that is a designation in itself. And you do give your heart out when you do put that down on your driver's license. Good for you. <laughs> but Bill, I want to thank you so much. You're part of the group of people that connected with me through the Buzzsprout community Facebook page. And I really appreciate you responding to the call of having some guests. And I'm really privileged to have you on the show. And that really leads me into my first question because the audience heard your impressive background. And I wanted to know a little bit about what got you started in the film industry to kick us off. Well, started in the film industry, I don't know, that phrase is maybe a little misleading because I never really hit the ground in the film industry as such. Let's see. I've had an interest in movies for many years. I did student films in high school one of which ended up winning an award in a local amateur film festival. And I had anticipated that I would eventually have a career in film, wanted to direct, probably using writing as a, a means to that. I wrote a screenplay for a college class, which was nice. But I never really landed in the industry as such. Now I moved to Southern California and kid from... Oklahoma moving to Southern California with stars in his eyes, so to speak. And as soon as you get there, it becomes all about survival. Yeah. <laughs> Getting a job, finding a place to live, feeding yourself, paying some rent. So 
the closest I came to being in the film industry, I ended up working in a video store and I actually met a number of movie and TV stars, uh, a couple of rock and roll celebrities, things like that. But that didn't really lead to anything in terms of the industry. And even when I got a job eventually at Warner Brothers, I was working as a, well, initially I was in a clerk position in home video royalties, but the bulk of my time there, I ended up as a legal secretary in the theatrical legal department, eventually getting a job. And my last few years were spent in the corporate archive, which is kind of like working in a giant attic where stuff gets stored, props, set pieces, costumes, documents like scripts and things like that get stored there. And that was interesting. I've got some fun photos of my time there. But the only time I really got into the film industry as such, well, there's one I'm going to skip over, but do enough research, you'll find out. But primarily it was the summer of 82. Francis Ford Coppola was making Rumblefish in Tulsa, my hometown. And this was the third movie in a row to be filmed there based on a novel by S.E. Hinton, or as I call her, Susie. Disney did Tex, and then very shortly after that, Coppola came along to do The Outsiders. And I think it was early in the process of making that that he read the book Rumblefish and decided he wanted to make that one too. It's a very different type of movie. I had tried to get a job on Tex. I didn't succeed, although a college friend of mine did get a nice little supporting role in it. I tried again on The Outsiders without success. And then Rumblefish came along and I was working in a restaurant. And it's one of these restaurants where the waitstaff do characters. And I was doing Groucho. <laughs> and to this day, I firmly believe I was the best Groucho they ever had because there was a time shortly after I discovered the Marx Brothers, I don't know, late junior high, early high school, I was so into them. I don't know how people could stand to be around me. Yeah. But in any case, I knew the material. I knew the characters and I did it as authentically as I think it was possible to do it and did well with it. Well, along comes a guy one evening and he actually was from Oklahoma City, as it turned out, and he was going to be the location manager on Rumblefish. And somehow... I probably broke character somewhere in order to communicate this, but I let him know that I had tried to get a job on The Outsiders without success. And he was able to get me on board as his assistant. So I effectively became assistant location manager, even though my production credit is just one of several production aides. And he told me that normally that would be a union position and that if any union people objected, that he'd have to let me go. Thankfully, oh. that didn't happen. So I spent the summer working on Rumblefish. But uh, I mean, there's various stories that I can tell about that time. I don't necessarily know that you want them all crammed in here. But in terms of my start, shall we say, in the film industry, that well, that was kind of my start and stop, I guess you could say. <laughs> sure. And that's why I purposely asked you that question in the way I did, because I think for some of us, we often think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be able to be this big star, whether that's be an actor or actress or on the other side of it, which other people do. Oh, I'm going to be 
part of the crew. I'm going to be a production person. I'm going to be a writer. And I've known a few people myself from high school that have been able to go out. They've been able to write a little bit and actually have their scripts then submitted to Hallmark, which then they produced some of their movies as well. So I say that in a very broad term because of not only the things that you've done and later in life, but the fact that you actually had this opportunity just kind of out of the blue in a way because of some of what you've shared. And I really am excited about it. And just full disclosure for my audience, if you've never watched the movie Rumble Fish, I will put a link in the episode notes for you to go check it out and learn a little bit about the premise of it. But Bill, just in case people don't want to do that, can you just give us a 30,000 foot view about what the movie Rumblefish is about, which obviously was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Well, it's about an hour and a half. And one thing I didn't mention was I had a theater degree and it was performance. So I was trained to be an actor. It's just that I didn't want to go up against those kinds of odds. I figured that trying to pursue an acting career would interfere with too many of my hobbies, like eating. But as far as Rumblefish goes, the approach that he Indicated, I recently saw a YouTube interview where he's talking about Rumblefish, and he wanted, after doing The Outsiders, which was a very popular film with teenagers. I remember it was in our junior high library, Susie Hinton's first two books, The Outsiders, and that was then, This Is Now. And I didn't read them. It just wasn't subject matter I was that interested in. But it really did click with a lot of kids that age. And it was a group of school kids, actually, that wrote to Coppola originally, said, this is our favorite book. We think you should make a movie of it. And that's what ultimately led him to make the movie. So he made this movie and it's got heartwarming elements in it and things like that. But he decided he wanted to do something that would be more artistic, more of an art film for teenagers. So he took a more artistic, stylized approach to Rumblefish, shot it in black and white. Mm. There's some minimal color effects in it, but that's designed to reflect kind of the worldview of a central character played by Mickey Rourke, who is colorblind. Wow. It's about the relationship of these two brothers who have grown up on the proverbial wrong side of the tracks. And there's references to previous days where there had been a lot of gang activity. They'd been in gangs and Mickey Rourke's character, the motorcycle boy, was this highly respected leader of this one gang and he apparently at one point just stopped doing it and disappeared and matt Dillon plays his younger brother rusty james who kind of idolized his older brother and he keeps trying in the film to convince not only himself but other people that when he gets a little older he's going to be just like the motorcycle boy and he's anticipating getting that kind of a reputation that kind of respect and it's clear that he's not. It's kind of a bleak landscape. Honestly, I was not that crazy about it. I read the book once I learned I was going to be working on it because I had not read any of her books. And I was impressed with the writing and the story. But I thought the movie shortchanged it in terms of just kind of the soul of the story. There's a character named Steve who is played by Vincent Spano, who's kind of a nerdy best friend since early childhood of Rusty James. And he serves in the book as the, well, I want to say Greek chorus, but for those who were not theater majors, think Jiminy Cricket. 
Okay. I and, wasn't a theater major, so that really helps yeah. me a lot. Yep. Yeah. And his perspective in the book is very important. And you get some of it in the film, but not with the same kind of depth and impact. And so I thought that was one thing that was kind of lacking in the adaptation. But I think it's a worthwhile film and it's got a very strong cult following. And it's one of those where you find that there are fans in certain countries that just love it beyond those in others. Yeah, no, that's true. And especially even nowadays, I kind of think of the adaptation of going from digital music back to vinyl records. It's sort of mm -hmm. that same sort of premise, except that some of the older films really had some deep story making happening and even some director techniques, like you mentioned, because I didn't realize that he filmed a lot of that in black and white because of the context of the character and which he was going throughout the story. And, you know, as you were talking about the premise of this, Bill, I'm sort of comparing it to some of the things that you were even mentioning earlier about some of the things that you have adapted with the film industry, your short lived career. Do you feel that if you were to stick into, and I know this is actually a big hypothetical question, and I'm really probably taking you a little bit out of context a bit, but I want to really dig into this a bit. If you would have been able to stay in the film industry and been able to maybe find your role, do you feel that maybe the successes of things such as Rumblefish and The Outsiders, things of that nature would have propelled you into a completely different direction? What do you think? I mean, I think for me, hearing what you said, like it would have been awesome for you to be able to do that. I probably would not be talking to you today because of maybe the success that you have, perhaps. But do you think that that would have changed a little bit of the direction you would have gone in your life? And if so, why? I probably would have been a complete mess if I had stayed in the industry, <laughs> quite frankly, just because knowing myself and the various pros and cons of my personality and vulnerabilities and sensitivities, things like that. I think that, I don't know, I know there were certain things that I would like to have done as a filmmaker, but just stepping back and looking at the industry as a whole and the kind of personalities that are involved in it that often are the ones that are steering the ship. I'm just thankful for the life I have now and the experiences I've had. They may not have been what I thought I wanted at that time, but I've got so many cool memories to look back on and interesting things that I've done and places I've gone. I just think that if I'd gotten caught up in that, it probably would have been guiding me rather than me guiding it. Ooh, that's pretty deep in itself, because I think that sometimes you run that tide that kind of goes through life, right? And some people like to go in the direction of where that tide is, but others are like, wait a moment, I got to resist this because I want to go a completely different direction. And I feel like my whole life has been a series of that as well. But I think I mentioned that because I also noticed, and I even shared that in the mid nineties, you actually created a quarterly magazine called the Television Chronicles. Mm -hmm. And I noticed some of the names of the people that you've interviewed, like Stan Lee, the former Dick Clark, who unfortunately is no longer with us, Richard Donner. I mean, those are people that in their heyday were just legendary people in itself. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the Television Chronicles, how you got about getting that idea off the ground. 
because I noticed that you had a friend that was part of this sort of process to help you get it off the ground. But also, what did you think you learned from that as opposed to what you probably would have learned and what you just answered as to this alternate reality, if you will, of being part of the film industry? Do you feel like you had more control over the television chronicles is more specifically my question to you? More control as opposed to what I would have had if I'd stayed in the film industry? Correct. Yeah, I would say definitely so in part. And it was a two-edged sword because it was essentially a two-man operation. I came up with the concept and did most of the execution and my friend basically put up the money. And so I was able to direct it how I wanted. The downside of that is it was a two-man operation and without being enough of an entity to have someone say, okay, here, your job is to line up advertisers. Let's get some income coming in. Uh, things like that. So much of that was on me. I was limited and I still had my day job. I was working at Warner Brothers during that time. So we didn't have the resources to really push it over the top in terms of any kind of profitability. But I really learned a lot in terms of skills. I learned a lot in terms of developing my research skills, interview skills. Although once I started doing my podcast, there was another profound lesson to be learned. And that is the difference between doing an interview for research purposes versus doing one that's going to be listened to by an audience. Yes. Very different animal. And that was, and I mentioned earlier, just being thankful for the way things went. Got to meet people like Lloyd Bridges, Robert Culp, Ron Ely. Richard Donner was a phone interview. So I did several interesting phone interviews, but being able to interview Stan Lee was a treat because as I told him when I met him, I attributed a good percentage of my literacy, degree of literacy to him from having read Marvel comics growing up. Wow. That goes to my heart because literally, and I know that this is an audio podcast, but behind me, Bill, there's a couple of instances of some Captain America characters in which I enjoy. I actually have a shield that it isn't official to the shield, but a replica shield in which I use to really make a point, especially in my coaching business sometimes too, with my clients that you have the shield, what are you going to do with it? And the shield isn't just more of protection. It's a symbol of something. So I bet that was really fascinating in itself to probably talk to Stan Lee. Yeah, it was. He was the most amazing multitasker I've ever seen because as I'm interviewing him and he was running a little bit late, he had, I don't know, a dentist appointment or something, <laughs> but he's sitting there and I'm asking him these questions and he's looking at phone messages and emails and things like that, but never missing a beat in terms of answering my questions. Wow. And he even was nice enough. I think there was something I forgot to ask him during the interview and I called his office and left the question there. And he was nice enough to call and leave a message with the answer to my question. So yeah, that was very cool. I'm really curious about this next question because as you were talking about even just the people that you've had on the television chronicles when you were doing that, it made me think about probably the wide cast of different people that you've met in your life. Who do you say in that big realm, which again, using the term film industry, which seems to be the black sheep of this conversation, because we know that 
it was a very small piece of it. But Bill, I think it made some profound influences in what you do even now, which we're going to get into in a little bit about with your podcast. What do you say is probably that one person that stood out to you in your mind is like, oh my gosh, this was awesome to meet this person and talk to, whether that was unofficially or officially. Who's that one person that stands out to you and why? I would say Robert Colt. Hmm. A couple of reasons. For one thing, just as an actor, he's one of these guys that if he is in a scene, he grabs your attention and owns the scene. And so having in my childhood watched I Spy, that was one of my favorite shows in the 60s. And anything else I saw him in, whether it was a guest spot on Man From U.N.C.L.E. or The Rifleman or something like that, he just had this presence. And so getting to meet him was a thrill in and of itself. I met him when for the magazine, and incidentally, I didn't really talk about what the magazine was. It was essentially a look at TV series of the past, and it could be long past, to quote Charles Dickens, or <laughs> something that had been canceled last week, just as long as it was no longer in production. And for the third issue, I did a piece on the Western that he did called Trackdown, uh, which only ran two seasons, but it spun off Wanted Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. Dead or Alive. Um, yep. So anyway, uh, that was why I interviewed him. And we do a profile on the series, its development, history, and so forth. And then we would include an episode guide. Anyway, so I'm there to interview him for Trackdown. And we sit down and almost the first thing he says to me is, so, Bill, tell me about yourself. They just took me so by surprise, but I thought, wow, what a guy, what a nice thing to lead off with. So yeah, he made quite an impression on me there. And then when he became a recurring character in the sitcom, Everybody Loves Raymond, mm -hmm. I was working on the Warner lot. When I saw on the call sheets that he was going to be doing spot on there, there were several times when I walked over on my lunch hour and knocked on his dressing room door and sat and chatted with him a little bit. But yeah, he, I think, is probably the one who made the biggest impression on me. Were you surprised by his reaction to you initially? Because you had that surprise, it sounds like to me, that he was really that sort of friendly demeanor type person. Were you surprised by that? Well, I think some of the surprise is that there was somebody working in the legal department who had told me that at least he was under the impression that Culp had done drugs and just really messed himself up and was kind of the show. So I was expecting to be greeted at the door by a Vincent Price character or something. Mm -hmm. And so that wasn't the case. He seemed very cool together. And so there was that, but then, and this happened with really nobody else that I interviewed during that time, although he would have been one of the earlier ones since it was the third issue. But in any case, just being that amiable, coming out of the gate. I was not expecting. Yeah, that could be surprising. I think sometimes we have this perception that some people have this wall of invisibility that we can't touch them, we can't talk to them, but really you don't know until you try or even right. when you have that interaction with somebody too. And I think that is more prevalent in the celebrity sense, which is why I really wanted to ask you about it because it did sound surprising to me that somebody like Robert Culp would give you that time of day. But yet here he is, like he's talking to you and yeah, never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah. Most definitely. 
So, Bill, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. For those that are interested, I'll put the link in the episode notes, too. It's about movie nights and matinees, correct? That's That's the title. title, Movie nights and matinees. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the podcast itself and kind of how you got it to be what it is. Well, as I say, if you listen to episode zero, it's kind of an introduction and I talk about some of my background and so forth. It just seemed like something, I have all this otherwise useless information in my head, partially from research I've done in the past, otherwise just being a general movie buff and having read a lot on the subject, seen tons of movies over the years. And I am in what's officially considered old fart category at this point. So (laughs) there's been a lot accumulated there. And as I say, no one will play Trivial Pursuit with me twice. So how can I put this to some good use? So I thought, well, you know, maybe a podcast would be kind of fun and give me the opportunity to talk to some more people that I haven't been able to. Actually, I I was sad and I know this isn't going to be timely for when this comes out, but I was really saddened that Alan Arkin just died because he is one who was way up at the top of people I would have loved to have interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for his loss too. Yeah. I just read about that myself to really put that in perspective. I mean, some people definitely having those legendary careers are certainly idols that we look up to as well. And that would have been awesome to interview them. But I know that for you and even this film genre that you kind of, in a way, invested in quite a number of years about, especially when it comes to your theater background more specifically, What would you say to somebody, especially now that you're interviewing people that have made it in that sort of career or have done different types of things? What if one of my listeners right now is one of those aspiring individuals? I mean, I know that it's really tough. As the recording of this, the writer's strike has been continuing to go on too, which has been something that I've been following myself about what the the demands are, why those came to be what they are. I know that it can be very tough to penetrate, which you even have talked about yourself. But what are, I think that we still need that sort of creative area of our lives. What would you say to somebody that might be going through that sort of process and wants to try to get involved, whether that's being in front of the camera or being behind the camera? Do you have any advice for somebody? I asked this question because I noticed that you still do theater to this day. So it's something that I think that has some connection, maybe not directly, but I think that there's still some principles to be learned from some people that really want to do that. So any advice for them? I think the best advice, well, maybe two pieces of advice. One, don't let it make you someone you're not. Mm. Remember that it is make-believe. The other thing is do it because it's something you enjoy presumably you're good at, not because it's something you have to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I like absorbing that myself. It's almost like working through the bloodstream here. And I'm thinking, yeah, sometimes we do things that we absolutely just don't want to do. But yeah, sometimes we have to do that. But at the same token, if we're doing that for the rest of our lives, that's not going to help us in any sort of form. I mean, I think of Paul Newman. Paul Newman is not someone who let the industry ultimately dominate and rule over him. He was able to step away from it to the degree that he wanted to do other things. 
and step back into it when he felt like it. And there was something that he wanted to do. And Paul Newman, again, is one of those individuals that I think of. I mean, I was not of that time frame when he was really in his heyday. But even after I was born and able to really dive into a lot of his movies, I saw how the development of those characters really wasn't because of some sort of status quo. He was actually defining them in his own way with his own sort of thought into that, which I think for anybody that is going to be in that field, being able to step outside of that is so important so that you can make your mark on that as well. What would you say to, I don't know, I'm thinking of this other question too, to kind of wrap up as well, but what would you say is somebody that even to this day, I know you talked about Robert Culp a little bit, but am I looking for somebody else that maybe has inspired you to do what you're doing even today? Is there somebody that you look up to even in your long career of just studying film or even being part of that industry as a whole that you would say has done or made that mark? I mean, can you think of someone other than Paul Newman that's maybe has been an inspiration for you? And why is that person inspiration? In terms of an actor, I don't know that anyone has ever impacted me on a really deep personal level as a role model or anything like that. I'm a huge Buster Keaton fan. Mm. There's that. Apart from that, some memory that comes to mind is in the Los Angeles area, they have the silent movie theater and it's kind of evolved and the place is still there, but it's run by someone else. And I think they show silent movies every once in a while, but I started going there. So again, this would have been in the nineties as well. And I think they were having a week of films by F.W. Murnau, who did Nosferatu, Faust, Sunrise. And I believe it was a showing of Faust. And I was there, sat down, looked over, a couple of seats away is Jeffrey Rush. Wow. And I had a nice little chat with him. And there's a thing I admire about him, and that is he is acclaimed as a really great actor. And I don't know of anyone who would dispute that. He's done some amazing work. But he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't take himself so seriously that he doesn't take some roles that are clearly just fun. House on Haunted Hill, Mystery Men, that kind of thing. Some things that are just downright goofy. <laughs> it's really about changing the perspective. And I, it sounds like those are the people that you're looking for that really are the inspiration. I'm I taking it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big thing. Just don't take yourself too seriously. Man, if I could have had that advice at least 15 years ago in my life, I probably would be leading a completely different track. Not saying that I don't regret my choices in life, but it has certainly could have had some profound influence. But I really appreciate that, Bill. Hey, you should have called. Yeah, I know, right? It should have. <laughs> yeah, should have looked you up in the Los Angeles area at the time, right? <laughs> so, Bill, I want to give you the last few minutes. Again, can you repeat your podcast title, where we can access it, and anything else that you'd like to share about yourself that the audience should know? I'm going to give you the last few minutes. And Maybe they want to contact you too. So maybe you can give them some information on what they can do to reach out to you. All right, sure. Well, as I say, the podcast is called Movie Nights and Matinees. And I didn't mention the premise is 
for people who enjoy movies from when we actually had to go to the movies, I mean, now it's just no big deal. You push a button on your TV, on your computer, on your phone, and you're watching an uncut movie for a couple of hours or whatever. But in the earlier days, you actually had to go to the trouble of going to the theater to see a movie, share the experience with an audience. And sometimes, certainly as a child, that was as much of an experience for me as seeing the movie, just being there was something. So that's kind of the premise. Now there's a website, uh, movie nights and matinees.com. And unlike the logo, you can't use the ampersand. You have to spell it movie nights and a and D matinees.com. And if you go there, there's an episode guide page where you can see all the episodes we've done so far on topics like the Marx brothers, Tarzan, 3d movies, the shadow, things like that. The latest one that I just did with Michael F. Blake is subject is Lon Chaney, the great superstar from silent films. There's also a page where you can see books related to the guests or topics, and you can click and order them through Amazon there. There's a page where you can do the same thing with movies that we speak about in the various episodes. And there's a page where you can order some swag with the movie nights and matinees logo on it. Also a comments page. So if anyone is wanting to reach out to me there, then you can do it through that. There's movie nights and matinees Facebook page. You can also go there and I post when new episodes come out and you can also put comments there, ask questions, make suggestions, start an argument, whatever. <laughs> well, Bill, I have to say, I'll put all that in the episode notes, especially for my listeners on this podcast that want to check you out. But I want to say that I've had people on this show that have been established correspondents on Capitol Hill have talked about their experiences. I've had people that sat on national chairs of organizations and committees that have some wide ranging impacts. I've had a lot of people that have had gone through the gambit of life and have gotten to where they are today and even have had some international guests share their perspective. Maybe we should rethink things differently in the United States as to the way that we do things in our lives. But I really appreciate this interview for a few reasons that I want to share is A, I didn't realize how much I really enjoyed films until you started talking about all these different people, even before we hit the record button on this. So I really appreciate you sharing some of your insights. But B, I think what was really, truly profound for me is that we have such a rich cultural history just because of films. And I think that that's so important, especially as we're developing ourselves. I mean, my business that I do for this podcast certainly might not align with what you do and your sort of genre that you have certainly built. But I think that there is some close connection here of how we can overcome. And a lot of films are really about that theme of overcoming, especially with even talking a little bit about even the films that you have worked with Francis Ford Coppola as a crew member. So for all those reasons and for everything that you've shared today, Bill, thanks for being on Speaking from the Heart. And I really appreciated our conversation and your insights today. I think they're really inspiring and I think it might help people become the next, uh, who knows, Paul Newman, perhaps. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you again, Bill. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I want to thank Bill again for being part of the show and really sharing a lot of unique experiences as part of his development in not only his career, but what he's been able to do as a result of taking on all these different types of twists and turns that are part of our lives. And I think that's what is really cool about Bill's story has been about, 
especially with listening to all the different types of experiences that he's had, especially going into trying to have a career that we often think we're going to have, and then switching to something completely different later on in life, which, yeah, it happens. For me, I wanted to be a lawyer growing up. Instead, I'm talking to all of you as a podcast host, and even running my own business for that matter. Who would have ever thought? And that's okay too. There's no reason why you should never feel like there's such a bleak landscape as a result of not doing what exactly you're meant to do. And now you might be asking yourself, aren't you in the business of actually helping people to get to where they really need to be? Aren't you really selling yourself maybe a little bit short on that? And perhaps you might think that. But the truth is, we all have different things that we really want to do growing up that often change because of the shifting priorities and interests in our lives. I never thought that I'd be interested in doing podcast hosting. I would have never thought that I'd be interested in running a business in which I coach other people to see the true potential that they have inside themselves. But here I am doing something that I really enjoy. And I think that for many of us, even if it was something that we have problems with trying to navigate through those black and white moments, we can get into live living color and be able to see what those experiences can be if we're just willing to try and give it a shot. And I think that's really about what Bill's journey has been. Giving it a shot, seeing if it's really cool, and then moving on to something else. Because we need to be able to learn and grow into some of the things or some of the people that are really part of our lives. We really want to be part of something that creates some of the best things that happen in our life. Really the epiphany of why this podcast exists in the first place. Sometimes having that one person and getting into their consciousness or their presence of really what they want to do in their lives can be something of a fulfilling nature. It can help us to understand so much about the inner workings, which maybe for some of us, we really don't want to know what's happening in someone else's life. And I totally understand that. There's probably some people in your life that you're thinking, man, if I knew just a little bit more about this person, I don't know if I really wanted to be able to work with them. I don't even know if I want to be associated with them or even have my name attached to them. But I think that for many of us, if we're saying that and we're feeling that and we might be thinking, I don't know if I really should be doing that, we might be missing out on something that's quite profound. And even then, for Bill's sake, he was trained being an actor. Because of theater, he really thought that it would give him a great opportunity. Does that mean that Bill's life was not so good? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I think Bill really enjoys, especially some of the episodes that he gets to do now, with some fellow people that have been able to go through some of the coolest experiences that he's been able to share and associate with, which I really encourage you to check out his podcast and listen to more of those episodes with some guests that he's had. But I think it's really about understanding and learning that even through those black and white moments that we have in our lives, we can actually create some of the best things that ever happen in our life on the other side in that living color moment sometimes we can turn a young passion that we have in our lives into something that we always wanted, what we always want to do. Maybe it wasn't something that we readily thought about when we were setting out to do it in the first place. 
But I think for many of us, we often have that intention of thinking that we're going to always do those certain things and have those certain opportunities time and time again. We get shifted off the wrong path. We're not really knowing or doing what we really set out to do in the first place. Matter of fact, maybe some of those distractions that we have in our lives often come back up. Having those people in our lives that maybe we thought we could get away from, but they keep circling back around. I know that for the longest time in my life, I always wanted to have some sort of influence in my life that would allow me to become not only just the best version of myself, but it would remove the distractions that I really had so that I could enjoy some of the best moments of the things that I really wanted to do. And I know that for many of us, I can be very tough. I think about the fact that my mom really was an influence on my life, watching some of the most greatest television series that ever existed, Star Trek being one of them that I have mentioned on this podcast. But there's been others. There's been other influences that even for my father, I think that it has allowed me to create some of the best moments of characters that I look up to. Ever heard of Rocky? Maybe you even heard of Rambo? Maybe you heard of Pee Wee Herman. Now, what do Rocky, Rambo, Pee Wee Herman, and even James T. Kirk all have in common? Well, I don't know about you, but they have something in common for me. Those are the people in which I have great influence. They allow me to see what I can become as influential individuals of myself, taking some of the characteristics of each of those individuals to ultimately become some of the best things that are inside of me. No, I'm not going to go to Rambo's sort of sake, which if you ever watched that movie, it's pretty violent, the original one especially. I will not be doing that. And I definitely condone violence, especially. So for all my fans out there, yes, violence is not the answer. But what I'm really trying to say to you is this. We all have our influences in our life of how we think, how we proceed, and how we continue to move through the courses of our life. Think of it this way. Bill was influenced by all these different individuals that encouraged him to keep moving forward. Being part of the production team, especially Rumblefish for that matter, allowed him to even go on to do some of the coolest things in the film industry while he was still really active in that. He is still doing some of the coolest things as a result of those experiences from all that long ago. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what kind of influences you have. Because you can create some of the best things in your own industry. Industry? Do you mean doing manufacturing? Do you mean giving services? Do you mean providing a product? Well, it could be all of those things, but our own industry. We build our own industries based on what we enjoy the most, what we really like, what we really create, what we actually have deep inside of ourselves that we want to turn into anything that we want. But the important thing is, don't make it someone that you want. Be willing to create your own industry. It isn't about some other person's rim. It's about you and who you want to be. You can be James T. Kirk. 
There are people in this world that are actually working to be that. You can be Rocky Balboa. And there are people around this world that are professional boxers. You can be Rambo and be some of the best soldiers on this earth willing to do some of the great civil work that is needed in this whole entire process. You can even have your own fun playhouse, just like Pee Wee Herman did. The choices are infinite. You can assume any role that you really want to assume as long as you have the will and determination to do it. And even if life takes you on those different twists and turns to get you there in the first place, remember this. It's okay, because the imagination runs wild just as it does in movies and television. And I think for that matter, we can all be appreciative of the fact that we can continue to grow into the best versions of ourselves as long as you're willing to be trained. We don't have to live in a black and white sort of life. We can be living color. And I think that living color has a multitude of different shades to choose from. So I ask you, what kind of shade do you want to be? And what kind of character do you want to become? Thanks for listening to episode number 70 of Speaking from the Heart. And I look forward to hearing from your heart very soon. Thanks for listening. For more information about our podcast and future shows, search for Speaking from the Heart to subscribe and be notified wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit us at www.yourspeakingvoice.biz for more information about potential services that can help you create the best version of yourself. See you next time.